Welcome to Just Go Grind, a show that focuses on helping you launch and grow a business and navigate the ups and downs of entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Justin Gordon, and in today's episode, we have Javier and Ruth, the co-founders of A Pup Above, a dog food company focusing on the health and wellness of their pups, while providing dog parents with the peace of mind of knowing where their food comes from, as well as building a sustainable brand. In this episode, Javier and Ruth go through how this all got started with their pup, Lola, and wanting to make better food for her and how they've gone about building this company. As always, the show notes are at justgogrind.com slash podcast, and you can support the show by leaving a rating and review over an Apple podcast. It helps more people find the show. Today's episode is brought to you by Varia Search, a boutique legal recruiting firm that uses a bespoke approach to fill legal department roles from general counsel to paralegal. They have a particular focus on startups and growing tech companies. This focus allows them to provide individualized in-depth attention to both their clients and their searches. They focus solely on placing in-house candidates, which allows them to give their clients a bespoke experience in filling their legal needs. Their matchmaking approach ensures that clients are paired with candidates who not only have great credentials, but who are also a good cultural fit for a growing company. You can learn more about Various Search at VariousSearch.com. That's V-A-R-I-A Search.com. Again, VariousSearch.com. Without further ado, here is Javier and Ruth, co-founders of A Pup Above. Javier and Ruth, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Yeah, I appreciate you taking the time to come on here and excited to talk about your company, A Pup Above. And for people who aren't familiar, what are you doing with this company today? Uh, so A Pup Above makes a gently cooked, fresh dog food. So it's kind of the equivalent to a home style dog food. And we sell um, through our website online and then also through pet stores uh, throughout the Southeast and also along the West Coast. And with this company as well, how did this get started in the first place? Um, well, it started with our very own dog, Lola. Um, she's more than just a dog. She's kind of our dog child. <laughs> um, and when you have a dog child, you really want the absolute best for them. Um, and that's when my wife started reading, you know, what is going into traditional commercial dog foods. Um, and what we found out is was truly disturbing. So... Um, that's kind of why, you know, we started the, this company. Yeah. So pet food, traditionally it's, well, since like post-World War II, it's been kibble, but, um, a lot of the feed grade ingredients that uh, can go into kibble are, um, byproducts of human food, but it can also be like vegetables that have been exposed to too many pesticides to legally go into human food, um, or sick animals, basically, rather than dispose of the food, they're using it into the feed system. So that that like made us upset, considering that you know Lola isn't just a dog to us; she has much more. Yeah. So we wanted to make sure the food we were feeding her was um, much more clean and healthier for her, and didn't have all of these contaminants in it. And uh, you know, I'll just add one last thing. You know, one of uh, you know. We, for us, one of life's greatest strategy is that dogs don't live as long. So, you know, if, uh, you know, and we know that, you know, what they eat um, and of course exercise and, you know, a lot of things can prolong um, their life in the plant, in this planet. So, um, and we, at that time, we just did not find anything that we felt comfortable feeding her. Yeah. I want to go through that at that moment when you've, d- you've done this research, you understand that 
obviously you want to feed Lola the best quality ingredients and everything you can. What were you seeing though at the time? Because I mean, they're, they're, to start your own company, it's not something everyone would do. I'm curious as what you were finding at the time and how that transitioned into you deciding to start your own brand. Yeah, at the time, so when we got Lola was about 2016, early 2016. So um, cooked cooked dog food wasn't really a thing in the market. Like you could cook for your dog at home, but you weren't going to be able to buy it in the stores. Um, so they only had, you could buy like kibble, canned food or raw, which is also a frozen food. But uh, Lola, she didn't like raw. Um, and also we weren't totally comfortable like handling raw. It seemed kind of gross. <laughs> So we were like, why can't we just like have a, like real food option that's like lightly cooked that seems to make a lot more sense to us. Yeah. And also, you know, um, when we started this venture, you know, when we finally decided to start this venture in 2018, um, people really thought we were a little bit insane and crazy. Like, <laughs> why, why would you feel real, real food for dogs? And we're like, well, and be like, dogs don't eat human food. You know, and like, why, why is that? Like, why, why, you know, so, but fast forward to 2021 and that is the fastest growing category in the pet industry. Yeah. It's, it's amazing. I've talked to a number of, of different people in this industry already and, it's, it makes so much sense if you look at where the industry is going, if you look at people owning dogs and more and more people owning dogs and how they are just a member of the family. And I used to have a, a dog as well. And uh, it was very much so like, like he was a part of the family. He's just like a brother uh, or if it, a son or a daughter. And it's, it's like that is contributing to this where people want a higher quality. From that then, understanding that and you're doing your research and deciding to make this an actual company then, what were some of the first steps you took in the beginning? Um, so certainly working with a vet nutritionist was was one of the first steps. So um, we basically decided kind of what, how we wanted to, what we wanted to go into the food based off of Lola's own taste because she's um, super picky. She's, <laughs> she's the reason we started the company. So everything has to kind of be Lola approved um, before we will release the product. So uh, the vet nutritionist and Lola like it were number one and number two. And number three was finding a place to make the food too. Um, you know, we, we did a lot of research on different ways to cook food in larger batches um, and also retain the quality of the food. Um, so that took quite a bit of time as well. But um, we eventually settled and found this unique, well, sous vide is how we decided to cook the food. Traditionally, it's been used for human food. A lot of restaurants use it. Um, it hadn't been used in pet food before but it just made a much higher quality, freshly cooked food at scale. Um, whereas other ways that you would cook the food would dry it out and it um, makes it really hard to, to produce a high quality product while producing in larger batches. Can you explain the sous vide for people who aren't familiar? Yeah, so sous vide is where you put, you put the uncooked ingredients inside of a BPA-free like food safe bag and then you seal it up. You take all the air out and then you submerge it in water that's not boiling. So it's a very low temperature way to cook food. And then you cook it over several hours. So in terms of the benefits for dogs, um, you have higher nutrient retention. The nutrients aren't leaching out into the cooking water. Um, you get elevated flavor. So that's why a lot of restaurants use it. It actually enhances the flavor of the food. And then it also creates these like meat juices or meat gravy. Um, from the slow cooking time. So like dogs, you know, obviously really like that as well. 
So that's a couple of really positive. Uh, one, one more, one more to add is that you know by using this uh, high-end cooking technique, we are able to uh, have on average seventy percent more protein than any other cooked brand out there in the market. Yeah, um, traditional cooking, like since it's cooked out in the air, you get a lot of you lose a lot of water weight. The ingredients will shrink in size. Um, so typically, use 20 five percent of the food weight when you're cooking. Uh, when you sous vide cook, you actually don't lose that weight. Um, so it allows us to pack in more meat into the food. More protein, less carbs. I love it. And and from that too, you mentioned getting the nutritionist, the vet nutritionist on board. How did you find that person? Um, I initially found it just through, um, it was actually my aunt. She, she knew people at a university that had a vet nutritionist program. So she introduced me there, but there's only about a hundred vet nutritionists in the country. So we definitely had to do like a lot of cold uh, calls and outreach to, to find someone who could help us formulate our recipes. What were you looking for from, from that person? Uh, from, you know, you knew you needed this person, but you didn't know necessarily, we uh, haven't worked with one before, but what were you looking for from this person? How did you decide on which person exactly? I mean, the biggest thing um, from the vet nutritionist side is making sure that our food is complete and balanced. Um, so for us, that that was the biggest thing. We knew that Lola liked specific type of ingredients and we knew that how we wanted to cook the food. But the, the reason that you want like to make sure that the, the recipes are complete and balanced is because our dogs need a specific vitamin and mineral mix. Um, so um, if you have people that are cooking at home, um, it is not necessarily the best thing unless you are measuring very carefully every single ingredient, which is like super hard to do. Um, so in the long term, you will be doing more harm than good when you, you know, which is kind yeah, of have very specific ratios of ingredients. So it require at home, it would, if you did a right, it would require a lot of weighing. Um, and you can't like say like, oh, I forgot the eggs, you know, today, <laughs> like omit them from the recipe. Um, so a lot of people wind up for that reason. They've done research. So 90% of home meals cooked at home are nutritionally not balanced for, for pets, for those very reasons. Um, and if you don't have nutritionally balanced food, it can cause, you know, long-term damage, such as organ damage, and it's very gradual over time. So by the time you, you notice it, it, it could very well be too late. With this as well then, so when you had you know, the, the version of the product, and I'm, I'm assuming it's maybe evolved since that we can get into that, but I want to, I want to know, how did you get then your uh, first kind of initial customers for this? Once you had a product that you obviously were <laughs> Lolo approved, but how, where did it go from getting customers and, and starting to make this into a company? Well, I'll start. So back then, um, Ruth was doing all the cooking in a commercial kitchen. Um, you know, so that's why we can tell you that there's really nothing convenient in cooking it yourself. Um, and then, um, we started hitting the farmer's markets, farmer's markets, going to dog parks, like just hustling (laughs) anywhere, anywhere we saw a dog, we would, you know, give them some food and get feedback. Yeah. Uh, Sometimes they're like, why are you giving, who are you? (laughs) Also one of the benefits of living in Austin, Texas is that people Well, number one is probably the friendliest dog town that you will ever, uh, be in. And two, uh, people are really friendly. So um, it's not unusual to strangers to come up at you and like ask you random questions. <laughs> <laughs> a 
from that then how many, I mean, how many people did you get on board or how, how did it grow? I'm curious as to, you know, getting those first customers and, and how did your, your pitch evolve with that as well? Um, initially just going out to dog parks and farmers market was really just to get feedback on the product initially. Um, so feedback on the recipes, the packaging thing, items like that. Um, it became once, once we had that, um, we then actually did shift over to a larger production facility, a human grade facility, um, and then also started entering retail. So entering retail certainly made it easier to, to especially pet stores, to find those those customers. But to, to answer your question, Justin, um, you know, we, we started really getting traction with customers is by, you know, once they saw how much their dog truly loved what they were eating, um, and, instead of like, you know, eating by because they're, they're, they're like extremely hungry. Uh, it's just something that just, pe- I mean, it's people were just like, wow, I've never seen my dog react like this to food. Um, so that's kind of like how, you know, word of mouth um, and just seeing the sheer happiness of what, you know, their dog's eating. Going from that too, I mean, at what point did you decide, I know, you, I know Ruth, you mentioned the, the retail side and I definitely want to dive into that, but for people, you know, who start a business and they're getting testing, they're getting some feedback at what point was, I mean, you can always get feedback constantly, but at what point was the feedback enough to then go to the, uh, you know, the, take it to a bigger, a bigger level and do more with this? Cause, uh, there's no right answer, but I'm curious as to how you decided that. Uh, so we were collecting feedback, I would say for like three months is kind of the amount of time we were collecting feedback and I was cooking the food in the, in the kitchen, uh, myself and it just, it just required, allowed us to like learn over time, like these, well, especially like for online orders, it was like, this is how much food the dogs are getting. These are, people are complaining because they want pre-portioned sizes. They don't want the packaging this way. So it just allowed us to get rid of some of those kinks before we started producing larger batches, which then becomes much more difficult to change things over time. Um, so that was really the benefit of testing it out. And then you reach to a moment where, you know, you have to make the decision, are we going to do this or not? Um, like, are we going to go all in? That means basically taking our savings and, you know, let's do this, you know, and go with it. So, um, big decision (laughs) to go through with that as well. I mean, cooking like in a, you know, a shared kitchen was just not sustainable over time. Like. Yeah. A 40 pound dog can eat, you know, a <laughs> lot of food. So you just get one of those customers and you, yeah. know, you start to reach the point where you're like, if we're going to work, like we need to have more equipment and uh, ability to make food more efficiently. Scale, scale is super important when you're doing, you know, a CPG business. Yeah. The scale is, is so vital within that, especially getting your pricing down and everything else around that. And, entering into retail how did that how did it happen we started local so there's um there's a local uh, retailer they have about 16 stores in austin called tomlinson's and um you know they were looking to get gently cooked into their stores and um we had just started as a business and we were local so it was a really good fit and um that that got us started in the pet stores and it winded up just being a really good fit because a lot of these are premium high-end pet stores where you know a lot of pet parents are already shopping so it became like a great place for us to 
to start and also just to, we did a lot of demos, particularly in the beginning at these stores to get um, feedback from customers and see how the samples were doing. And so we again started collecting more feedback before we expanded the business further uh, to pet stores out of Texas. From that, then you get these first few ones, and then you, you eventually know you want to obviously expand beyond that. And you mentioned having now, obviously, on the website and everything else with that. How did you go expand from those first retail locations then to really take things to the next level with this business? Well, that's kind of a chicken and an egg scenario because. In order to grow in retail, you need something, uh, you know, you need distribution. Um, and, it, and not only distribution, but you need frozen distribution, which is like a whole new challenge. Um, so there are about, you know, a few national distributors that focus on pet, um, but you need to show them real traction in order for them to, you know, really take you on board and make it worth their while. So... Having that said, um, you know, we, we showed them, you know, the, our numbers in Texas and how confident we were that we could actually build this out in the West Coast as well. Um, and here we are, you know, um, with uh, right now we're in about 150 doors and, you know, we're you know looking to grow uh, 4x this year. So that's amazing. One thing I'm, I'm curious about, we haven't really discussed yet through this whole time. So that was in 2018. I mean, were you both working full-time jobs? I mean, where were you at career-wise when you started this in 2018? Uh, I was working on it full-time, and then Javier was still working in his his uh, role with his family's business. So Javier didn't join until uh, early 2019. Yeah, that's when uh, I had to make a decision because uh, Ruth, you know, she was in Bentonville, Arkansas. I was in... Ecuador in South America. So, you know, like I said before, we needed to make that, you know, leap of faith. Are we going to do this or not? We chose to pull the trigger and then move back. We both moved back to Austin and it's, it's going to, it's going to have a happy end. <laughs> are you, so are you both full-time into it now? I'm curious as where it stands currently. Uh, Javier joined full-time in early 2019. Um, and that I would say made a huge difference in building a business. It wasn't, I was not able to do it just by myself. Yeah. Um, and it's so lonely. Like people really don't talk about how lonely it can be to build a business. Uh, I mean, and believe me when I tell you, I would have never imagined building a company with my wife and my dog child, but here we are. <laughs> probably the most rewarding thing that I can say that, you know, that it's in it's, my life. It's really know? fun we've made Lola part of the company. Like she's a chief pup officer and co-founder and, you know, she's, she's 16 pounds, so she travels with us wherever and she gets to go to our meetings. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. Um, so it's become like a very fun experience. Like we're all in it together. Yeah. And she's a very good judge of character as well. So we know that if in, we're in a meeting and she poops or pees, that is very bad juju. <laughs> we just a huge red flag for us. Amazing. On top of being chief uh, quality assurance officer as well on all the on all the food, which is amazing. And she's the brand hero, so you can she's like everywhere on the website, like on the packaging. That's that's her on the logo. Um, so she's literally, you know, yeah, so she's the, the pup above. Of course, as as she should be. <laughs> and and getting you say 150 uh, stores or so now at this point. And how did that go in terms of the, the retail stores then with also selling online? What was you know the mix between the two? 
uh, today. It's about 50-50, I would say. Um, but going into next year, I think online will go down to about 40 or 30. Our retail sales have been doing extraordinarily well, um, even during COVID. So um, we'll think that that will shift a bit. But um, yeah. online, yeah, online is, is good as well. I mean, online is growing. Um, you just, you know, having an online business for Prozine has its own set of challenges. Um, so, but we, uh, since we don't have distribution nationwide, that is some, you know, and you have someone like in New York who wants her product. So we make yeah. it available for them to buy it. Yeah, we eventually, I mean, we like Omni because at the end of the day, like we believe that our customer, our product should be available to the customer where they want to buy it. So we don't want to lock someone in to only be able to buy our product via subscription on our website. Like if they like going into the pet store, bringing their dog in, sampling stuff, um, we want them to have that option. Uh, we don't we don't want to lock them into only subscription model. With that as well, in terms of scaling up to this point today, I mean, what have been the biggest challenges along the way as you've as you've grown this from you know you're going from just farmers markets and dog parks to test this out to where you're at now? I mean, what's been yeah the biggest challenges of scaling this to this point so far? It's a really good question. Um, I mean, one is forecasting inventory. Um, that is by far the one of the biggest headaches because you don't want to forecast too little and you don't want to make too much food and then you have like an inventory problem. And people don't like when their dogs run out of food. It's not <laughs> yeah. like chips that are going to go get another snack. Yeah, problematic. Um, people, yeah, people like typically their dogs will stick to kind of one brand or... And so they want, they want inventory always available. Um, and a, a second challenge, you know, so, I mean, COVID has make it, has made it very challenging to travel. Um, and, you know, when you are in the pet specialty channel, people want to, you know, know who they're buying from. Um, and that's kind of, you know, it has prevented me from traveling to, you know, California, um, you know, Arizona, uh, Las Vegas, like they, you know, they really are, you know, these measures are, you know, strict. So that's been a challenge, but, you know, um, at the end of the day, uh, word of mouth does play a role and that's what has enabled us to grow from, you know, a retail side. On the word of mouth note, how have you encouraged that or, or how have you looked at, you know, getting more of that from your business or anything more with that as, as you've grown, because, you know, being 50, 50 right now, online versus retail, obviously there's a lot you can do online. People might talk about ads and everything, but the Holy grail is if you can get word of mouth and you don't have to spend money on it. How have you kind of encouraged that with the company? On the, in the pet store side, um, the pet stores that we sell into, um, like we said, these are like premium pet stores. So they have a lot of, um, people who will help you find your food and, and kind of select what's best for your dog. We also uh, really try to get the store managers as well as, you know, every employee to try our food. And, and that really uh, makes them, you know, uh, understand what we're selling. Yeah. So um, we build relationships with the store managers or employees. So they get to know us. They understand, they know our story and why we're passionate. And they also try our food. Uh, with their dog and then once they see how much their dog loves it they're going to be much more willing to recommend it to customers that come into the stores you know and then uh, you know from the online side online side of things you know we are always constantly getting you know videos from customers who 
you know, just their dog is just going crazy. They're making like uh, a snack packs for their dogs. Um, they're, they have like dining tables <laughs> for their dogs. Um, like all these crazy videos that are just um, amazing and, you know, just pure happiness, you know, you, you put them, you know, on our like social channels on Instagram or Facebook and, you know, people see this, you know, and it's like super authentic. It's not, you know, people not... see that they're not alone in treating their dog like a child. <laughs> oh, that's definitely true. I can attest to that for pretty much anyone I know, I feel like, uh, is, is, is that level and you see the pictures and you see the, everything that he's doing around it. And, and we talked about earlier how this, this market obviously is growing and you can see that it's pretty quickly. How has competition evolved as you've grown the last couple of years? There, there, the, the category, I mean, there wasn't, as we mentioned, like when we were looking in early 2016, um, if you Googled like cooked dog food, like nothing really came up online. Mm-hmm. Um, today, if you did that, you would see a whole bunch of different options. Yeah. Um, so it's certainly a competitive category, but in, anytime you're in a category that's growing, um, you're just going to have competition come in and you know, it's made us better as a brand. Um, so obviously it makes us have to think more about how we're going to be different um, from the other products and brands that are out there and how we're going to communicate differently to the to the consumer. So we, we welcome the competition and view it as like a healthy thing for making the business better. With that as well then, I mean, how have you thought about it in terms of separating yourself from competition? That's something you know any business owner can relate to in any industry. How have you thought about it for a pop above? Well, from a product perspective, we really focus on a high protein, uh, low carb diet. Um, so that's, you know, I can tell you that, you know, from a product we have on average 70% more protein than any other competitor out there. So, and that's seven zero, you know, 70. Um, so uh, people know that protein is good, high carbs is bad. And then from a brand perspective. And from a brand perspective, we're really focused on bringing uh, transparency to the industry. I mean, that's the reason why we started the company because we just wanted to know what was in Lola's food. Um, so we do that through, we have a lot code lookup where you can take the lot code on the back of the bag and see where everything's sourced on our website. We also post the safety reports that show the food was tested and cleared on the website. And then we're also big about showing, you know, our faces and Lola's face to humanize the brand and show who who are the people behind the brand. Uh, A lot of traditionally pet food, you don't really know who's behind the brand. And so we want to show people that, you know, we, we've, we believe in the product We're feeding it to Lola. And so we're willing to put ourselves out there uh, to guarantee the quality and the safety of the product. And that's something that's relatively new for pet food. It's It's been popular on the human food side, you know, for a couple of years. Yep. And then also uh, we do believe in, you know, sustainability. Um, so you can probably speak more to that. Yeah, so we, we, we um, do a couple of things in sustainability. So um all of our packaging is is recyclable we use ugly produce in the recipes so we try and upcycle where we can and then we also have partnered with the white buffalo land trust which is a really neat uh, nonprofit out in it's in california in the santa barbara area and they've bought a couple hundred acres outside of santa barbara and they're converting all that land traditional farming land into regenerative agriculture land um, which is a type of farming process that actually captures carbon from the air. So 
um, you can, you know, have have meat, but then the cattle are help also helping capture carbon from the air. Does a lot with improving our water as well and soil. So um, we contribute one percent of our revenue uh, to them each year, and so we're investing in them with the intention that over time we can bring in some of these foods that are grown through regenerative agriculture into our own uh, food that we're making with a pup above. On the product side as well, looking at the product from the early days and you're just testing this out, getting started to today, how has that product evolved or the assortment of products evolved to what it looks like today with a pup above? When we were first making it, we were just um, what they call kettle cooking it. So it's like cooking in a big soup pot. Um, so it was very different uh, type of texture and food. Um, now that we're sous vide, it um, has more meat and is also um, a higher moisture product, which dogs really like. Um, they'll always choose kind of the higher moisture product. Since we're cooking the food for you know over two hours, it's just like the the meat juices are marinating for over two hours. That creates this natural gravy that just drives dogs absolutely crazy. We're always like kind of adjusting how do we make it better and since we have like one of the pickets dogs in the world that we live with, we're always like you know how how much more does Lola like it? Um but yeah we're always kind of tweaking tweaking things like a little bit. I mean right now dogs see like really like our food, but um we're always you know working towards making it better. Uh, one thing that was mentioned earlier is the forecasting of inventory being one of the biggest challenges, especially as you've grown. I'd love to hear more about how you go about that or what's helpful with that. And I know I've dealt with these same <laughs> issues before at an e-commerce company I, I was at a couple of years ago and just trying to figure out numbers and got, got bit with not forecasting correctly. And it can be a huge hassle. How, how do you think through that or how, what are some factors that are helpful for you? Um, so one thing that we haven't mentioned is that when we shifted to, uh, you know, the commercial kitchen to the, you know, USDA human grade facility, um, we, our food manufacturer, you know, really took a bet on us because, you know, back then we were like so small, we just had, you know, this dream and, you know, this, uh, hustle. Um, but he not only took a bet on us, but he chose to become a partner in the company. Um, so he also was an avid dog lover and he completely understood what we were trying to do, um, which is, you know, essentially changing dog food for good. Um, so having that partnership with him, um, who, who, you know, this is a 200,000 square foot facility. They can make, uh, how many millions of pounds? Like, what is it? like over a million pounds of food per week. Jeez. So. <laughs> They have large capacity, a lot of capacity, but um, so they help a lot with making sure we have to have inventory ready um, rather than, you know, suddenly running out of inventory and then needing to schedule, you know, fit into the schedule later down the road. Um, so them being willing to like make inventory and hold inventory for us um, has been a huge positive with um, preventing us from having out of stock issues. Um, Especially because, like I said, like people, dog, pet parents don't like it when they run out of their pet dog's yeah. food. I'm finding the food that their dog is going to like. So once their dog likes it, they usually like to stick to it. Um, so that's been a huge plus for us is having having them on board. And, and also, I can tell you that they are super happy now that they partner with us. 
<laughs> it paid off. It paid off for them, which is great to hear. And and one thing I always love talking about and hearing more about is is pricing. So how do you think about pricing or how have you thought about pricing for a pop above, especially being a pre- premium product? I'd, I'd be curious to hear more about that. Well, um, I'll start and then we're kind of up. So the one thing that we really looked at as a product is where, where does our product fit in the market, right? Um, so the one thing that we are, you know, that I'm very vocal about is like, I'm truly, you know, we're not really building a new category per se. We are really replacing canned food, um, because there's really nothing convenient about canned food. It like smells horrible. It has a lot of junk in it. So we took that price point. And so if you look, if you take a premium canned food and you compare it to our product, um, in some cases we are, you know, very, you know, it's the same price. And in some we're like 10 to 20% more expensive. Um, So we took that as a variable. Um, And then of course we, uh, you know, took uh, what, you know, the other companies um, out there are pricing their product because we, you need to be competitive. You can't like, you know, price something that it's out out of the market. And once you do that and you start doing the back math, you know, and you can see, okay, what is a healthy margin to scale a business or to have a profitable business? Um, does it make sense? And then we we kind of reach that. So our pricing is really competitive when it comes to canned food, and we are super competitive to any other competitor out there. Has there been much testing with that or playing around with that over over time as you as you've grown or uh, just seeing what else you could do within that? Because I know it's different depending on the different types of companies and different business models and everything with that. But uh, I'm curious as that maybe if that's if that's changed at all or have you ever come back to that or how do you look at that kind of uh, ongoing basis? Our pricing today is is competitive within the category, um, so we haven't really adjusted it over time. The only thing is. Now we're, we're looking more into bulk sizes so uh, customers can get savings from that. That's, that's kind of where we're playing with pricing. But in terms of uh, the pricing of our current products, it, it does really well in the category. One thing I'm curious about too, with as everything's evolved and you weren't, I don't know, we hadn't started, started a pet business before. I mean, what's been most helpful for you in terms of resources to help you learn more about being entrepreneurs, uh, growing this business, I'm just curious if there's anything else that maybe others, other people might find useful as well. I think uh, when you're starting a business, you need to keep your ego in check um, and really, you know, go after, you know, people who have started businesses in the past. Um, and Austin is probably the CPG capital of the United States. Um, so we've actually, you know, been really blessed to, you know, pick up the phone and talk to other founders that have built companies in Austin. And, you know, sometimes they tell you what you don't want to hear, you know, and you can make a choice whether to listen or to not listen, you know, um, and that's something that we truly valued. We've, of course, listened um, and that's really paid off, you know. Uh, but at having great advisors, um, people that have been there, done that, has been one of the most valuable things that we've... Uh... They save you from making costly mistakes. <laughs> of course, people have made them already. Yeah, exactly. How has the experience been as husband and wife working on a company together? <laughs> I mean, like I said earlier, um, this has been probably one of the most rewarding things uh, you know I, I've done in my life. Um, it's not to say it's not challenging because I mean, we not only work together, we work out together, 
you know, we've been in quarantine together, um, you know, but uh, we, at the end of the day, I, you know, one of the reasons why this, uh, this partnership works and it works really well is because we have completely different personalities and completely different skill sets, right? So that's really enabled us to, you know, be accountable for our areas of the business. And Ruth, I'd love to hear your perspective as well. <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, I, I agree with, with Javier. It's, you know, a big part, too, is like learning how to communicate effectively together, um, you know, whether it's your coworker or your spouse, um, knowing how to communicate with each other is going to be the fastest way to solve issues. Um, so we've just over time have gotten better and better at working together. We always have a low lift. We need like a little icebreaker. <laughs> really good, too. Benefit of working with your dog. But um, yeah, I mean, just over time, we've learned how to work better together and, um, you know, we're, we're in this for the long term. So we understand that for this to work, uh, we do have to be good business partners in addition to like good life partners. Is there anything with that on the communication front that's been in particular helpful in terms of the, the cadence of how you communicate or, or any like rules you put in place or anything around that? I know it's, uh, it could be helpful for other people who also are husband and wife founders, even just any, any co-founders communicating with their other founder. I'd be curious on the communication yeah. side. Yes, always just talk about it. Um, also, yeah, there's a great saying that I heard once is that, you know, I choose to be, uh, I choose to be happy and not right. Mm. You know, so if you want to be right all the time, then, you know, you're going to run into, you know, a lot of issues, you know, so just sometimes, you know, as a, as a male or as a husband, like I just know how to, I know when to shut up. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, we've gotten better at communicating to each other. Like if, you know, we thought one of us should have done something else or if they should have done it differently or how we think they could have done it better because we do have different skill sets. So giving feedback to each other openly and in a, you know, compassionate and non-judgmental way um, is very effective. I think sometimes, especially when it's your spouse, more you can have more emotion come into play. Um, so just trying to like kind of hold that back and communicate in a very level-headed way um, goes a far way and being more productive. One of the things that we haven't discussed a lot, and we kind of brought it up earlier on about, you know, using savings to, to fuel this business, but how have you funded the company uh, over time? And I mean, is it something where you've you've wanted to take outside funding or not even thought about that? I'm curious as to the funding side of it. How have you gone about that? Um, so we've been bootstrapped pretty much um, this whole venture. Um, it's, uh, it's taking, like I said, you know, we, we, you know, you come to a point where, you know, you're all in um, and that's kind of, I mean, there, there, I don't think there's a right or wrong, but uh, I, I am, I do believe that in order for when you do a, when you start your own company, you have to be all in. Um, I was talking to this the other day, I was, you know, when we first started the company, we, you know, we really downgraded, you know, from, you know, living like in downtown Austin, we moved, you know, to the north side of Austin lived we had a mattress on the floor um you know didn't have any furniture and we used that as a motivator we used that as you know like this is temporary um because we wanted to save every single penny like it was literally money like literally 
money, like everything we had was on the line. And, and building a brand like takes time, um, particularly outside, especially venture capital money, you really are on the clock to deliver uh, returns in a certain period of time. Um, and at least from our point of view, like we want the time to be able to build a brand and build a community. Uh, we don't want to be rushed. Um, and so for us, it's, it's, it's healthier for the business if we are bootstrapped to be able to achieve those goals. Yeah, and I think it's important. That's why I asked because I think it's important for people to understand if they're starting a company, what expectations come along with that. And there are there are trade offs between taking outside capital and not, especially if you if you can uh, go with savings and off of revenue and, and fuel the business. It's it's different. But then other companies, depending on what industry you're in, you may need to take outside capital in terms of competition uh, speeding up. But mm-hmm. um, moving forward, I mean, are you? think you're gonna the same way that's how you wanted to have grow the business or is that something where you've uh just haven't really think, thought you needed to ever really take outside capital um i were uh like we're not we don't know what's going to happen in the next year or so we're not close to the idea but we're just focusing right now and like right now it's just like let's grow our business we have a specific milestones that we want to achieve this year um and then you know we will have to make a decision whether we really want to you know, go nationwide and that may require outside capital. One of the last questions I have is just how do you recharge away from work? Oh, we, we work out together. <laughs> For some people yeah. might not be recharging from working with <laughs> well, we go to we go to boot so uh, we go to boot, uh, boot camp. Uh, it's outdoors, six AM, you know, just you know, they really, you know, it's really hard. Um, but that's kind of, you know, and we take a low, you know, demands four walks a day, you know, so. Two walks on, we live next near the, to the trail in Austin around the lake. So we take her out to the lake, walk around the trail. So she gets to like decompress and so do we. Um, <laughs> I love hearing that because everyone, everyone, I th- there's been, especially recently, I've, I've probably more than half of people have mentioned an, an outdoor uh, nature activity as a way to unwind. I think especially uh, given pandemic situation, even in early 2021 here, um, it's just getting outside is so important for, for mental health and from stepping away, uh, especially when you're at a computer a lot of times with a company. Um, just yeah. to have that seems so beneficial. And and, la- and lastly, is there just anything else you'd, you'd recommend or tell other founders uh, on their journey as well, based on what you've, you've learned the last couple of years? I mean, we've certainly learned that like people, people are everything. Um, even if you have a good product, if you don't have a good team, like it's, it's going to be difficult to, to make it work. Um, and so we mean that not just from an employee perspective, but also just from the advisors and mentors you bring on board who have kind of done it before and also are aligned with your vision. Um, it's hugely beneficial to be able to have more success more quickly because they're helping you avoid uh, potential mistakes as well. But and it's not just enough just to have like highly accomplished advisors. Like you also have to have people who, like I said, are aligned to your vision and agree with how you want to build the business too. And passion. You need to have be crazy, crazy, crazy passionate because you know shit's gonna happen. And when it does, um, you know, it's that resilience, that determination and that love that's going to keep you going, you know, and not like break. Absolutely. Javier and Ruth, where can people go to learn more about A Pup Above and also connect with you if they would like to? You can go to pupabove.com. Um, and then we have our, our Instagram, A Pup Above. 
And then anyone can email us at Ruth or Javier at a too. Thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show today. Well, yeah, thank, thank you, you for, for having, having us. us. Great. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Just Go Grind. If you want to follow along on the socials for all things Just Go Grind and with me as well, you can find Just Go Grind on Instagram and Twitter at Just Go Grind. You can find me on Twitter at JustinGordon212. Find me on Instagram, JustinGordon8. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great day.